this week's podcast guest, we have Ryan Powda Gibbs here. Ryan was in the Valley not too long ago for Backcountry Brews Talk, which went really well. I think that we are all excited to hear where he came from. We see him on Instagram skiing all the fun stuff in the White Mountains, especially those sunrise skis. But he is the true dedicated weekend warrior coming from Levant, Levant, Maine. I didn't even know that. He always claims Bangor, Banga. So it's fun to just get some facts on Levant. He just let me know there's the last place in the U.S. or somewhere North American territories to do some tar and feathering. So chew on <laughs> chew on that. But Ryan's been um, you know, a big source of inspiration for some of the stuff he's been doing on the East Coast, especially up in Baxter State Park. That's his home turf in a way up there, but he's no stranger to the White Mountains and Sunrise Starts. He's uh, an engineer by day, most most midweek action. He's over there in Maine, but he's dedicated to, you know, he he pretty much trains year-round to be a good skier, and he's gotten into the ultra-running stuff. So there's a lot of relatable content here for all you listeners that want to hear more about just getting out in the mountains. So welcome, Ryan. Thanks for having me. So what's your ski history? Because we've skied together, but I never really dig into your, like how you got into into backcountry, but like skiing in, in general. Yeah, so it's an interesting, uh, I, I feel like everybody I ski with like started when they were two or three years old, right? I, um, I didn't have that. I didn't start skiing until I was about 12 years old. And it was actually, well, maybe a few years, right around then. It was like part of that winter ski program that they put out for fifth graders in Maine. So that was my first experience. Like, I uh, I tried a, a day at Lost Valley, Maine. Um, I did like a 30-minute lesson. And, uh, yeah, then I just like went after it. I never had any formal training or never did any racing. My school didn't, didn't do that. So I... Um, kind of took matters into my own hands and my mom she was a state gs skier back in her day she got like second or third in states back in the 70s or late 60s and uh so yeah she taught me everything she knew and uh just started off like riding my mom's old straight skis down the driveway and then kind of went from there um got into i really like bump skiing um I like going fast, but like bump skiing really was my thing. I wanted to like charge through mobile fields as fast as I could. So naturally I found myself like tree skiing and I was skiing a lot of fresh snow all the time. And, you know, when that got tracked out, I, I always kind of wondered what was, what was next. So it probably was, oh, I think my first backcountry ski was actually in like 10th grade at Whistler of all places. I, uh, did, did like a little booter up, uh, one of the ladders out there and found myself in some incredibly wild terrain, which blew my mind and made me, made me very humble for what we have on the East coast. So you got a taste of the big mountains and came back wanting more. Definitely came back wanting more and realizing I didn't know at all what I was doing back in high school for backcountry skiing. Like, Definitely didn't belong there at the time. I feel like a lot of people <laughs> found themselves in similar situations, especially from the East Coast. But I'd say that that's a recipe for this strong drive to get better at something when 
you start you start skiing late and you don't take it for granted you, you're picking up all these skills and you're getting the feedback and it's you're getting better and and you're seeing that those results um so when did like what were some of your like when would you consider yourself making that big change to be like all right i'm gonna this is gonna be my thing so i would say the biggest restriction honestly was transportation for a while um so it wasn't until i didn't have a car to drive until my senior year of high school and that that summer that i got my car uh the october after we got a four foot storm at sugarloaf and that that was uh one of my most unique experiences because like i had i had the ability to make my own decisions and i recklessly made the decision to skip out on a school presentation uh with a partner um i left them hanging and i went to go hike sugarloaf and i skied from the summit of sugarloaf um which i still haven't done to this day off the summit rock all the way down gandhi line without like hitting anything underneath all the way to the bottom it was the craziest thing it was such a hard hike i was in snowshoes at the time because it was like i don't know 2005 and uh yeah it was it was one of the hardest things i'd ever done because there was so much snow there's too much snow for <laughs> snowshoes and uh that's when like the flip you know it, it really flipped in my head um so then from 2006 on, I really tried to just charge after it as much as I could. I still, you know, every weekend I was going to Sugarloaf or whatever. But then in the springtime, I started to shift my focus to Mount Washington. And I started to really ramp up the amount of solo time I was doing in the Whites. Because um, I didn't have any anybody that would go backcountry skiing at the time. Like everybody just, you know, thought it was too dangerous and didn't have the alpine skills and didn't have the tools or the money and, and neither did I, but I was just willing to push that envelope a little further earlier. And, um, so I got a lot of experience by myself, which I think really helped me because it, it made me really in tune with where I was at in my development and my progress and like what I was competent at. Um, so I always encourage people like it's important to spend some solo days in the mountains because you really get to know yourself as a person. Yeah, it goes both ways, right? Like there's that safety in numbers and but also having a partner can really affect your decision making. It can affect like the whole trajectory of your day. Whereas if you're out there by yourself, it's all you. You're responsible for everything. Totally. And I I I can relate to that where I've done long days by myself and um it's you know Picking a picking like we live in a day and age now where there's so many, almost so many partner choices, where you just really got to be selective of, with who you who you get out there with. So who were some of your um, give me some like your memorable tours that you did in the Whites or in Maine? Just I'd say like once you started to figure things out. I didn't spend much time in Maine right off because everything everything just tasted a little more inaccessible. Um, you know, I, I did the typical quote unquote side country off, off the loaf and, you know, dabbled in some of that terrain, but I found myself going to the wise cause it was just easier access. And, uh, so 
I think my first spring day, we, we alluded to some of it during backcountry brews, but I never circled back. Um, so for a short stint, I picked up teleskiing and, yeah, um, we missed that part. I, I, I was solo and there was this old timer up there and we started, you know, just chatting on the boot pack on the way up and he was like, Oh, I really want to ski this line, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, all right, well, I'll follow you. So we drop into this line. It's just uh, lookers left of Dodges, or sorry, lookers, lookers left of Hillman's, which he said was Dodges. I was like, this doesn't feel right, but I'd never been up there. And so turned out on certain snow years, you could see it. There's this kind of hanging snowfield that happens between Hillman's and Dodges. And uh, yeah, so skiing down and then all of a sudden it's just like dead end cliff. <laughs> so... We booted back out of there. I was like, I don't think this is right. And we, we continued over like another 100 yards and, you know, we were there. But that was pretty eye-opening for me then. That was definitely memorable because it's like, I don't know what I'm doing right now. Like, I don't, you know, that's the epitome of why you hike the line you're going to go ski. Like, it's hazard mitigation. But if you're completely unfamiliar and just like, Typical spring, right? Questing out there, like everything's fine. And uh, whoa, close out terrain. Yeah, so, you're just a lemming following the leader. Yeah, that, that it's super easy. And like, yeah. That same thing happened. Hillary and I had never been in King Ravine. And we went up there in 2000, maybe spring of 2015. Wow, a long time ago. And we just skied blindly down one of those one of those fingers into the ravine and it just choked out. And yeah. people are like, oh yeah, that one, um, yeah, that one doesn't really go <laughs> most of the, most of the time. And anyways, it was, you know, one of those learning experience when it's so weird to drop in from above to a place you've never been and let alone never had eyes on before. Yeah. So I know it's cool too. It's fun to, it's fun to test those boundaries. Yeah. So, I mean, I think of that all the time because you know, as you, as you progress and poke into certain areas in Maine, like sometimes the only access you have is from the top. Right. And so that's led to some quite memorable days up in Maine here too, because dropping in blind on a lot of stuff and, you know, you don't have a lot of information in front of you and just what's in front of your feet. You have to try and make good decisions. And, you know, I, I think that was actually a good primer now in hindsight, because, you know, I had I was skiing above a closeout line that I didn't know was there at the time, and it's gotten me to a place where I feel a lot more comfortable skiing closeout lines that I know are there. And uh, you know, just a couple of years ago, back in '15, we skied into this unknown quested area. Like, not too many people skied out there, and yeah, you know, we found ourselves above you know hundreds of feet of ice exposure, and you know, that's when you crack open that other skill set if you're going to get it done. So. It's important to put yourself in those positions if you're competent, but well, that's a sometimes good, you're just lucky too. That's a good segue into your your tool set that you built over the years of ice climbing and just being comfortable in steep, icy, rocky terrain. We had Freddie Wilkinson on earlier this week, and he was just chatting it up about if you really want to become a mountaineer, you got to work on those cramponing skills and be comfortable using an ice axe and you, you know, you've taken it to the next level with a lot of just straight up ice climbing. You, you're one of these rare breeds that bridge the gap between skier and, and, and climber. And there's not many of you out there 
when you talk, when we run in two different circles, you know, we have our backcountry circle and then there's that ice climbing circle. And you're, you're clearly a little bit in the, you're lean more in the, the backcountry side, but you also aren't afraid of the ice climbing side. When did you pick that up? Uh, not that long ago, really. Like I've, I've used ice tools on and off over the years. Right. But, um, and it, I still like, it's not a passion the way skiing is by any means. Like even this year, I'm like, man, I just don't really want to ice climb that much. But back in my head, I'm like, I've got to do it because you've got to stay sharp. And the only way to do that is proficiency and like nonstop doing it, just like skiing and back at your skiing. You got to put yourself out there in these situations. So I need to do more ice climbing. I've been, I've been slacking off this year, but yeah, I would say probably like four or five years ago, I started really picking up a lot more and, um, it wasn't like supernatural to me. Cause I've never, I'd never really focused on my upper body strength as much. You know, I was a runner and a skier and then just a skier for a while. And then um, I dabbled in rock climbing a little bit back in junior high as well and didn't like it, man. I was afraid of heights of all things, right? Like what kind of a sport is this for somebody that's afraid of heights? But yeah, the heights don't bother me so much anymore. But um, the, the coolest thing about ice climbing I found early on, and it's why I started rock climbing again too, um, is just the positions that it puts you in in the mountains that you're very familiar with. And, uh, you know, it's very easy to go charge up the mountains and like have a good run or have a good ski. But like, there's all those spots that you look across, you're like, I wonder what it looks like from there. And to look back on where you were running from where you are climbing, it's just so fun to experience the mountains in a different way. It's different movement. It's a different pace. I I thought you were just going to say the gear. You just need more gear. You love gear. Oh my God. You need more gear. (laughs) So much gear. I'm basically like an REI now, but, uh, yeah, we need a, a walkthrough of your gear room. No, but seriously, the, the gear thing and acquiring that tool set really allows you to go anywhere. And I think that's the fun thing that you can do the same runs. You can get used, used to doing the similar terrain that you've done every weekend. You can, I don't know, find a new ski line, but if you figure out a way to do these link ups or to just incorporate a little bit of ice climbing and utilize these tools. It's just, it's a breath of fresh air. It really can, um, just make a day. You know, when you start doing these multi-sport days, it's so much fun. Absolutely. And the gear is so much better now. Like you've done some link ups like that yourself, you know, with your pinnacle sunrise to, Go ski left. That was <laughs> the pinnacle to left, the most indirect route, one of the most Super indirect, indirect routes you can do. But when it's November, we get desperate. Yeah, and like I mean, that's beauty in Huntington, right? Like, there's you're close to your line, so like you can get a good idea of what the ski terrain is going to be like that day, and like you can go climb pinnacle to ski central or diagonal, and like rip up again, maybe do Yale or Damnation, like. There's so many options in the whites because it's so concentrated. And uh, it's a little tougher in Maine, but it's still there if you poke around. And Well, what's on your, what's on your bucket list laid out there of fun? I know you're brainstorming. You're, you're doing a lot of training here and there. I mean, you're, you're stack invert, and I know it's not just for last skier standing. But what, um, <laughs> you know, like for me, everyone talks about I'd love to get into Madison Gulf. 
and scramble up and over that with some ice tools, do a long approach in, do a bunch of stuff in there, and then ski out the Great Gulf. I think that would be a fun, mm-hmm. just like a long day in the wilderness. That sort of thing resonates with me. Not, I'm sure not everyone feels that way, but there's all these areas that we never get to see in the wintertime, most of us. There's, there's so many things on the map, right? And I know for, for fear of like letting too much out of the bag, like um, partly because if somebody else does it, then I don't have to do it. But uh, I've really been wanting to do like a presidential circumnavigation ice climb ski. They did that not too long ago. I can't remember who did it. Mikey. Was it Mike? Yeah. yeah. He had a great write-up um, on that. All ice climbing. I've been thinking about that for skiing and climbing. And, like, I saw that. And I was like, yes, somebody else did it. Like, that is such a cool thing. And the other one would be the the technical traverse. So it'd be, it'd be a winter hut to hut, but with big climb, big ski. Yeah, that would be fun. And that you it would know, be super hard. It would be really but, hard because you're just adding so much more difficulty mm-hmm. to the already super difficult task of getting from all the huts. So ex- lay that out there in, in terms of, for example, if you, getting from Madison Hut to Lakes of the Clouds, what route would you take? Oh my God, there's so many options. Like, would you go? You would go up Mad Gulf, and you could scramble up that with some ice tools, and then once you get up there, you could go. Around Adams and ski. I mean, like, are you going to go into Jefferson would, Ravine? Or are you going to ah, go? I would, I would. It's almost, would you'd almost, want to do it backwards. Hit, yeah. Exactly. You'd want to go down into Jefferson Ravine and then scramble up and out of it. But like yeah. the, there's, yeah. When you start spinning the Google Earth globe. Oh my God. I don't know if you're anything like me, but, um, you know, I lose myself in the maps and it drives Jen absolutely nutty when I lose myself in the maps. Because there's so many options over there. Like, if you start looking at the terrain we have and the trails, and, yeah, some of them are pretty overgrown in the winter, but, like, some of them are a lot easier to travel in the winter, too. So it gets pretty exciting. Like, there's so much you could do for link-ups. Well, what about— Just even in the northern Prezies. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing is that I get hung up on— Well, I don't get hung— I get hung up on outside of the presidentials, and that's the really— Mm -hmm challenging part is hitting those weather windows right because the presidentials are always going to get the snow and then mm-hmm. everywhere else it's kind of a guessing game like if are the riverbeds going to be frozen are the totally um some of these other slides going to have enough snow is the um yeah i don't know is the is the weather it's really like is the snow going to be good are things locked up we we go through these long these cold periods and all of a sudden we get this thaw like this thaw we had ruined any chance of getting to some of these remote areas mm-hmm. for now you know if we get unless in, you want to get wet unless you want to get wet which we don't um i've done that i've broken through more than i'd like to admit yeah we went into the great gulf once and there's all these lines up off the auto road all these old all these rivers yeah like creek beds and i went in with a split border friend and another ski schemo friend and we went in and that, I don't know, I forget which trail we took. That Whatever the one goes to Spalding Pond. All yep. the way up the Great Gulf. It's a five-mile approach up that way. 
and we have to cross, you sort of have to cross the river a bunch. And this is before, this is a couple of years ago before I was savvy with some of the, the GPS apps. Anyways, like you're crossing the river back and forth and we cross and then all of a sudden the split border drops into his waist in the river. Oh no. Always the split border, but no, <laughs> he, he was fine, but we just kept moving and we went up and nothing was frozen in. And we spent all this time just plowing through breaking trail up the great Gulf to be just turned around. We're like, this is taking way too long. We need to get out of here. So yeah. Stuff like that happens that all the time. Yeah. I mean, we usually don't talk about that that often. Cause it's like, wow, this is embarrassing. And like, that stuff still happens, you know? It's not like that goes away. No, you need to but. learn what it takes to make something um, in or, you know, skiable. Yeah. So we learned that on the fly. So what have you been up to? What have you been up to this year? What's, um, what's, I mean, it hasn't been the best winter, but it hasn't, it's, there's been stuff to do. I don't know. How have you been keeping busy? So ironically, this year I've actually had a pretty lax year. I started off, a little later than normal because of the way the winter was going. And I charged really hard for a period of time where we had like pretty consistent snow. I was stacking Bert and I got a little bit injured. So I've been trying to nurse that back to normalcy. Stacked a little too much Bert too quick, I think. And um, so I've been nursing myself back. I'm starting to feel good again. I've been mixing up with runs more recently, you know, doing a little more winter running which may translate into maybe a little bit better base coming into ultra season because I traditionally didn't like to run at all in the winter. But on the skiing end, yeah, my backcountry resume this year, not so hot compared to normal, to be honest. Um, but the days I've had up there have been super fun. Like, I haven't, I haven't made it up to Baxter yet this year. Um, I was thinking about going, and then I ended up uh, failing on that plan. But yeah, I think the weather pattern we're in now looks like it's we're actually going to be in a little bit better cycle, and it's going to be a little colder. But it's certainly an active pattern. So like, I, I'm curious to hear what the uh, meteorologist had to say because I've got I've got good feelings for the for the next eight weeks here. Yep, he said we're looking good. We're we're it's going to be pretty calm week this next week, and then after that it should pick up again. Nice. We only take we take it in small chunks. We like what's happening this weekend, and then anything before that until we talk to you again. You know, he's realistic of like he'll he can tell you if it's going to be active or not, but mm. you can't pinpoint it so much. But he's been calling it that we're going to go above average this winter, so that's exciting. There's hope, but it's all about being patient and working with what you got. I think we got pretty down and out with this last couple weeks that that rain is just crushing and then it just takes an inch of rain a dusting i mean sorry inch of snow a dusting to just make everything look right again and that's like part of it is getting your mind mind frame right and when you get excited about winter plans and stuff and just start chatting people like you about your goals and stuff you want to do it just sort of sparks the fire again which i think it's important just to step back and look at the big picture that yeah, we're going to have winners where things aren't in and we can't do, we can't get every weekend nailed. It's just going to, it's just a matter of fact. And you just got to be able to roll with it and stay busy and, and stay positive. Yeah. So that's been my big thing is like being very patient. So like 
you know, my long goal for this year, like my back's going to be right for February, March and April. Cause I'm going to beat it up pretty hard. So getting myself back to normal has been my number one focus this year, as opposed to like last year, which was an absolute, it was mayhem for, you know, three months early in the year. Yeah, it was. I remember that. We had a great early season. Well, what, um, first of all, what are you drinking for a beer right now? I know you're, I am drinking. You always have good beer. One of my reserve Imperial Gunner's Daughters. Wow. Pulling out the big guns. What's big guns? Tell me, tell me more about that beer. So if you've had Gunner's Daughter from Mast Landing, it's their Imperial version of that. Clocks in at a uh, solid 10%, and it's a milk stout with peanut butter, coffee, and dark chocolate. Wow. I'm pulling up a, a photo of this. That's good. You're keeping it's, it local. Um, yeah. I, I, I just had a uh, Orono Frank's Bake Shop as well. Orono Brewing's near and dear to me, being close to them. So uh, love their stuff. A lot of good, lot of good breweries in Maine. Surprisingly stacked in Maine and Vermont, and New Hampshire's catching up. A lot of, lot of older breweries, but not a lot of like fresh, crazy brews coming out. But they're starting to really pound them out. Garrison City Beer Works. That's my plug for the what's hot on the streets. Totally. They, they really, they get creative. I love that. They're not. A, they're nano brewery. They make small batches. Everything's mm-hmm. distributed in-house, really creative. It's fun to see. I love the traditional beers, but I also really like to see people pushing the envelope with flavors. And not, not all of it works, and it's not all for me, and I can't do big, <laughs> big – I don't think anyone can do big quantities of that stuff. It's very, uh, very strong, very potent. But, uh, well, cool. I think we should, we should wrap this up. What, um, so, yeah, what's on the docket – for this your I don't know, I guess upcoming season. Are you coming to last year standing? Is that gonna are you gonna be fixed by then? I don't know if I'm gonna be fixed by then. I actually while I was stacking my vert, I was like, you know, my fitness is pretty good. And that's the tough thing for myself right now is my cardio is pretty solid. And, you know, I'm not the fastest guy on the hill by any means, but got this slow burn thing going, which I feel like I could go for an absurd amount of time, probably at something like that. But I think it's going to, it's going to depend on how my back is. It'd be fun to just come out because it's a super cool format. Has anybody else ever done that format for skiing? Not that I've seen. You think you'd hear. Yeah. I've never heard of that. I thought that was super cool. Yeah. I, you know, it, I, I think the big message I need to get, across and be better about is that it's not about winning it's about sort of setting your personal goals and following through so if you just want to do one mount washington which would be six laps maybe and then if you wanted to do you know keep pushing it hit ten thousand. i feel like there are people that will have hour marks they want to hit it's like 24 hours or 12 hours say, 30 hours I, I fully expect somebody given the format and the location my my early prediction here is somebody's going to blow over thirty two hours mm. if they pace themselves, and there's other people to push them. I I have a hard I think that window 
of 24 to 30 is going to be very difficult to get through. Yeah. It's just the sleep. The sleep is just, you can't hide from that. Can't hide from the vertical, can't hide from the sleep. The both of those things combined, it's, you know, and then talk about gear, having, make sure you don't have any gear failures and you don't have, yeah, <laughs> your feet aren't rubbed yeah. raw. There's a lot of things to consider, but the, the, what's fun is that this is, like you said, I don't, I haven't heard of anyone doing this. We'll see what it looks like at the end of, uh, at the end of it all, which there's guys that have gone and done 24 hours and re- recorded how much vert they can do in that time frame, And that's yeah, like 60 in this, you know, 60,000 plus. So when, there's, yeah. Killian did what? Seven was a high 72, 72. Yeah. So there's yeah. guys that have done it. They're freaks of nature and it's a complete, but it's a, a completely different format. Uh, Conditions are different. They, you, you, the guys doing this event aren't going to have people necessarily like handing them a new pair of skis with skins on it, ready to go. You know, yeah, it's going to be a lot more self-sufficient. There'll be crews and stuff, but I would, I would need a light boys set up for that, for that event. I think. Yeah, you would. Well, you know, if you're in the heavy metal category, it's its own thing. That's what's fun. Oh, is that anyone? So can, many years of heavy metal. Any, anyone <laughs> can. Yeah, anyone can join up. Well, we'll wrap this up. Um, thanks a lot for swinging back on. I'm going to release your Backcountry Brews talk. So all you should go check that out. That will be on YouTube um, for the for the patrons showing up shortly here. And, yeah, thanks so much. Anything else you want to uh, share with the world? Any other secrets? Oh, there's there's so many secrets. That could be another another one. <laughs> on you have top to pay. That. That's another tier level. You're gonna have to pay the that's twenty. That's definitely another tier level. It's a twenty dollar secrets of the deep. <laughs> twenty dollar tier level, and they go straight to Ryan's pockets. <laughs> My Imperial Gunners fund. Everyone has but, a price. No, no, you'd, you'd you'd be pretty hard pressed to get a lot of it out of me. But there's not a lot of secrets out there either. So no, they're not. No sense keeping certain things locked up. Well, thanks again. Um, We'll, we'll chat soon. Anyone that wants to follow Ryan, I have his Instagram handle, Powder Gibbs, in the uh, description here. So go follow him and watch what he gets into this winter once he heals up. Um, thanks again, Ryan. Thanks, man. Have a good uh, have a good ski this weekend. If I don't see you, let's get out soon. Yeah, absolutely. Bye. Cheers. Cheers.